Good morning. We have some fired up students who just got back from camp. This was our camp shirt. Go Team Orange. Yeah. And uh, this was our team mascot. <laughs> Inside joke. Don't worry about it. There was no spooning taking place at team camp. <laughs> but the best part of the week is three of our students gave their life to Jesus Christ. And were again. Come on, church. Good grief. Y'all need to go to camp. That's good news. So we're in week three of one sermon in our sermon series called God is. We believe that only God has the right, has the authority, or has the capacity to fill in the blank of who he is. And thank God he has sent his son Jesus, he has sent his spirit, and he has sent his word to tell us who he is. And the first thing that, that we're really exploring this summer is the fact that our God is Trinity. He's not a Trinity because there is no other. He's Trinity, the one and the only. And that might sound like some dry academic doctrine for bored people to argue about or study about or sit in a classroom and talk about. But we believe it changes everything because there's no God like him. And so this one sermon... That's been in a time span of three weeks. We're in week number three now. And so if, if this uh, intrigues you and, and you're just logging on, on today or you're just walking in the door today, we'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first two parts of this one sermon um, as we study this God who is three in one. This one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at how every analogy or illustration or example that we can possibly come up with falls short because there's nothing like him. And one person uh, anonymously is quoted as saying, try to explain the Trinity and you'll lose your mind. But try to deny the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. Because this is our God. And there's none like him. I shared a little bit last week how I've just been kind of captured by the lyrics of a song. It's not a modern worship song. It's pretty old. Uh, It's written by Moses. That's pretty old. Exodus chapter 15, in the middle of this song, it's called the song of Moses. This lyric, who is like you among the gods, O Lord. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you among the gods? Remember when we see capital Lord, that's the personal name of God, Yahweh, which was whispered from the burning bush to the author of this song. Who is like you among the gods? Here's the incredible incredible thing about this question is the children of Israel. So this is in Exodus 15. The chapter before that is in Exodus 14. Okay, somebody's listening. 
Exodus 14, the people of God have been released from Pharaoh and he's changed his mind and his heart has been hardened again. He pursues the people of God. They come to an unpassable situation called the Red Sea. God parts the waters miraculously and doesn't just part the waters. He dries the mud into solid ground and the people of God walk across in freedom And as they get to the other side, Pharaoh's army has entered into the Red Sea to pursue him. The waters collapse and the people of God are set free. And the first thing they do is begin to worship God. Because when you've been set free, you can't help but worship God. Maybe you haven't been set free yet or maybe you forgot about what bondage was like. But when you've been set free and you know it, you can't help but praise God. But that's not what the sermon's about this morning. In in the middle of that praise, talk about a praise break. (laughs) In the middle of that praise, this rhetorical question, who is like you among the gods? And what's interesting is they had a, a bird's eye view of all of the gods of Egypt for generation after generation after generation. For 400 years, the people of God were slaves in Egypt and saw all of Egypt's greatest gods, small g. For longer than this experiment known as America has existed, they were in slavery seeing the Egyptian gods. But then their generation visibly saw the move of the triune God. And their response was, ain't none of them like him. It's not good grammar, but it is good theology. Who is like you among the gods? This morning, I want to let him answer that question. So grab your Bible, your phone, your tablet, or if you got none of those, the scripture will be on the screen. I'm going to ask you, even if you're a guest today, to join with us in our tradition as we hold up the Bible, say our creed together about what we believe this book to be, and a prayer to prepare our hearts. So hold them up in the air, and let's say this with some passion this morning. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. Please turn or scroll to 1 John chapter 4. John the Beloved, the the disciple with the closest personal relationship to God on earth in the person of Jesus. He wrote a gospel about the life of Jesus. And then he wrote three letters. This is the first of his three letters. 1 John chapter 4. Again, in the context of God as Trinity, what does that mean for us? It's not just a dry, boring doctrine, but it changes everything. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, and I love this, and knows God. This series of filling in the blank, who is God? Here's a way that we can know that we know. 
if we love the people who bear his image. That might not sound like it's connected to God being Trinity, but hang with me. If we know who God is, we will love people. This idea of knowing God is now said in the negative in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Maybe they know about God. Maybe they grew up knowing truths of God, even truths of his word. Maybe they went to a Christian school. But if we do not love the people who bear the image of God, we don't know him. Because, and here's the three words that will be the heartbeat for this morning's third part to this one sermon. God is love. (laughs) Holy Spirit, may we not read these next verses with dry or sleepy hearts. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the satisfactory sacrifice, the make it writer of our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This interesting verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love abides in us. And his love is perfected, complete, made whole, made visible in us, it's like the world can see a glimpse of who God is when his people love one another. And then verses 13 and 14, this is the end of our text for this morning. I want to see the Trinitarianness of these verses. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his capital S spirit. And We've seen and testify that God the Father has sent God the Son to be the Savior of the world. God the Father has sent God the Son, and we know that because He's given us God the Spirit. God is Trinity. And that Trinity God, back to verse 8, is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What I have found is that if I tell people God is love, they want to hear that. Maybe get some goosebumps, get a little warm fuzzy. And then if I say God is Trinity, they gloss over 
That sounds academic. I'm not interested. But the fact is, God can't be love if he's not Trinity. This morning, I want to make a case to you that the hope of God being love, in which we, by the way, root all of our hope, is because God is Trinity. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if there was any point in time in which God was not in a loving, active relationship, he is not God or he is not love. Because it does not say that love is something that he does. We do read that other places in scripture. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. Like it's a thing that he's doing. And that is good news. Good enough, worth celebrating. But it's better than that. Love is not just an action that God sometimes decides to do. It literally is his essence, his being, his nature. It is who he is. And for it to be who he is, it has to always have been who he was. And only a triune God can offer that. Maybe another God who is like you among the gods. Maybe another God can start loving. Can learn how to love. But only a trinity can always have love. That's the goodness of who this God is. Um, those of you who um, have started reading Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, you're going to hear a lot of stuff from that book this morning, uh, less from his lectures and more just from that book. In that book, he, he quotes from a book by the great C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, a book written a long time ago. That's why the word screw is in the title. We would never say that now. But Screwtape Letters, um, oddly named, is a fictional book. That is written where this, this senior demon named Screwtape is having correspondence, written correspondence back and forth with his young nephew, apprentice demon named Wormwood. And they're discussing back and forth the Christian life. It is a phenomenal book. If you've not read it, I couldn't recommend it more highly. There's several books I've read recently that all quoted from the Screwtape Letters, so much so that I'm now rereading it. It keeps showing up on my radar, and it's been a long time since I've read it. So this summer I'm rereading the Screwtape Letters and being reminded all again how incredible that book is. I couldn't recommend it more highly. But I want you to listen to this fictional senior demon... Talk about who our God is to this fictional demon apprentice giving him instruction on how to be a good little demon or a bad little demon. I don't, is the goal of a demon to be good? I don't, I don't know. I haven't talked to one lately, but, um, I mean, I did just get back from youth camp, but, um, listen, listen to what he writes this demon tells this other demon one must face the fact that all the talk about god's love for men and his work being perfect freedom is not as we would gladly believe mere propaganda but an appalling 
truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his. Not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. And then listen to the forces of evil being contrasted with this God who is love. He says, we want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. And then he says this, we want to suck in and he wants to give out. We are empty and want to be filled, but he is full and flows over. He is love. Even the demons fear and tremble. And the amazing thing is, is that so many in our culture have rejected this view of God that sounds exactly like Satan. This needy, insecure, demanding, vain, taker. That's not our God. The devil is empty. He is hungry. He's been grasping for glory ever since he fell. But our triune God is abundant, generous, giving. He's love. And we see that God is love when we go back to the beginning of the story. In the beginning, God created. I want us to go back to Genesis 1, and I want us to notice one verse. We'll make a secondary point, point before we make the big point. Here's a secondary point. Genesis 1.26, then God, singular. In the Hebrew, it is the singular God, said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. In our plural likeness. One in three. Isn't that cool? Now some have said you can build the whole doctrine of the Trinity on this one verse. And I think that's an overstatement. But when we build the doctrine of the Trinity and then go back to the beginning, we sure do see a triune God at work at the beginning. Right? Here's the question I want us to ponder this morning. Why? Why would he do that? Why would God make anything? The way Michael Reeves words it so eloquently, if there is a God, why is there anything else? Is it that God felt lonely and he wanted some friends? I am a friend of God. Julie Childs, that was just for you. I hope you sing that the rest of the day. Was it that God just wants to be pampered 
So he created some minions, some servants. Is it that God was insecure and he needed to be praised so that he'd feel better about himself? Is it that God was arrogant and he needed other people to see how great he was to affirm his glory? Is it that he really desired to love? And so he needed to create something to have a relationship with. Who is like you among the gods? (laughs) If there is a God... Why is there a universe? Why is there an us? Why is there an anything else? Reeves points out that one of the oldest historical records we have theologically comes from ancient Babylon, where they tried to answer that question. The ancient Babylonian god Marduk, not Marmaduke, that's a cartoon that y'all don't know anything about. Ancient Babylonian god Marduk said this, he, the supreme god, will create humankind so that the gods can have slaves. And that's why a lot of people think any of their version of God created. He's an evil taskmaster who needed to control someone. Even when we we contrast that with other major religions in the world, so the the best-known single-person God, non-triune God, would be Allah of Islam. Who, the one of the reasons that they fiercely reject Christianity and Islam is because of the doctrine of the Trinity. And in Islamic doctrine, one of the key tenets of belief about Allah is that he never needed anything. But the Islamic doctrine of creation says that Allah had a desire to love in in eternity past. So therefore, he had to create something in order to fulfill his love. He needed us. To make himself complete. And we ask this morning, who is like you among the gods? And I think we find the answer, why did God do this? By asking another question. What was God doing before this? What was God doing Before he had the conversation with himself, which when we do, it means we're crazy. And when God does it, it means he's Trinity. What was he doing? So again, this morning we're, we're listening to the words of John, the beloved, right? And last week we, we listened to some powerful words from Jesus' final night before he was betrayed in the garden as he's praying with the Father. But John gave us a lot more details of that prayer than anybody else did because I think he understood best the implications of that moment. And in that prayer, in John's gospel, he records these words, John seventeen twenty four. Jesus says to the Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
What was God doing before creation? It was a father loving his son in the fellowship of the spirit. So then why did God create everything? This is the natural overflow of the loving God. All other gods of all other religions are lonely and they need us. And I'm going to tell you something this morning. God loves you, but he does not need you. God was not an eternity past going, man, I'm just missing something. I feel incomplete. I believe in eternity past, God was as satisfied as our human minds can possibly conceive in the divine dance of the Trinity. He didn't need us to be fulfilled because our God is not a taker. He's love. I also believe that God did not create us so that he could start loving. That's Islam. Our God created because he is love. He was not needing us. He was not putting out an ad. So in that book by Michael Reeves, the subtitle of one of his chapters is this single God, non-smoker seeks attractive creation with good sense of humor. That's every other religion's alternative to God. He needs some friends. At best, he needs friends. At worst, he needs slaves. A God who was not a trinity would ultimately be really self-centered. Wouldn't know how to love. Would have to be learning it and figuring it out on the job. If if a non-trinity God does create, they're doing so out of this desire to, to please themselves. But everything changes when it comes to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit exploding into a universe The love of God. Not exploding like isn't I believe the Big Bang, by the way. Don't send me an email. So loving other people is not new to God. It's not strange to God. It's literally who he is. Our God is love because he's Trinity. Which completely defines for me personally... Who I am. I'm loved by a triune God who's so good at what he does that it's literally who he is. That's how loved I am. Maybe not by you. (laughs) Maybe not by people who vote different than me or have different views on politics than me or any other stuff. But I know at the end of the day, I'm divinely loved by the God who is love. And that doesn't just tell me who my God is and therefore who I am. It tells me who my God is, who I am, and what I'm called to do. 
My mission on planet earth is rooted in who I am and who I am is rooted in who my God is. He's Trinity and he's love, which means I'm loved, which means I am loved to love. Created in the image of a loving God, an eternally loving God, means I'm created to love, which is why in Matthew chapter 22, the son of God has asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God and love people. Like if you're an image bearer, you can't get away from this. It's what you're created to do. You're created to love. In Ephesians chapter 2, some of my favorite language about what God is doing on planet earth. It says that the father sent the son to reconcile us to himself. Oh, I love that. But that's not all that that says. The father sent the son through the work of the spirit to reconcile the world to himself and to one another. Because he's Trinity. Because by nature, the triune God is a God of harmony and of unity and of community because he's love. The doctrine of the Trinity is the hope for peace in this world. We follow a God who is love, who always has been love and who always will be love. And so if we claim to be followers of him, our marching orders are clear. We are called to love God and love broken people who bear the image of God, period. And I know I've said this enough that y'all are sick of hearing me say it, but church, if we get everything else right and we get this wrong Do we know God? Anyone who does not love does not know God. And what's amazing to me is some of the most unloving people I've met know a ton of verses about the Bible, have taught Sunday school, have Served on boards and stuff at the church. But if we know God. I mean really know God. We will love. So what went wrong with with creation, right? What, What went sideways? Is it that Adam and Eve stopped loving? No. They changed what they loved. Just like me, they were better at loving themselves than loving God or loving one another. Ultimately, the problem was not that Adam and Eve didn't love enough. It's just they loved the wrong things. When the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy, he describes those who are far from God. And here's what he called them. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of God. We can't help but be lovers. We're image bearers of a triune God. We have to love. 
St. Augustine said, we're not primarily called to obey God's moral code. Our, our highest calling is not to do the right things and not do the wrong things. He said the primary problem is not that we have behaved wrongly. It's that we have loved wrongly. The great Martin Luther describes those far from God as those who have turned in on themselves. And here's what's incredible this morning. (laughs) Our very rejection of that love is what prompted the greatest display of love in the story of the human story. Our rejection of loving the one who loved us first, whose love is the reason for our existence. Our rejection of loving those who bear his image prompted him to send his son to be the payment for our broken love. But not just the payment that gets him over or even just forgives our broken love, but who would restore our love back to the one who loved us first. And to those who bear his image. Verse 11 of our text. Beloved, if God loved us. If God so loved us. Like the way we just said. We also ought to love one another. Because our God is Trinity. Not the dry academic doctrine that's detached from our real life, but it's the reason that we're supposed to shine as light in this dark culture. This incredibly unloving culture. Have you noticed how nasty everybody is right now? Seriously. Like if you're going through a drive through brace yourself. People are grumpy right now, man, aren't they? You know what I think they need? Just put your car in park and say, I'd like to talk to you about the doctrine of the Trinity today. Because God is Trinity, God is love. And because God is love, I am loved. And because I am loved, I am set free to love broken people. I shared last month during D-Now with our students a story about a young man that Maurice and I had the privilege of meeting in Kosovo a few weeks ago. The reason we went to Kosovo, uh, our missionary partners there, the George family, were finally, after seven years of doing ministry in this uh, Islamic city, they were finally having their first baptism service. And it's a hard place to proclaim the gospel of Jesus there. And we were able to be there as this mission became church, Acts chapter 2. Baptism is what takes it from a project to a congregation. We were there for that. It was an amazing experience, but something happened the week of that baptism. After seven years of ministry, there were two young men ready to go public with their faith, with the risk involved of losing their family and losing their source of income. Seven years, two converts ready to go public with baptism. In Kosovo, like in most of the Muslim world, you can't exactly go down to 
uh, Lifeway Christian stores and buy a baptismal, right? They had to buy this big water container, and then they took a sawzall and just cut the top off of the thing, filled it with water. That was the little baptismal. But it was this white plastic water container, and so cutting it with a saw created this white plastic powder that made a giant mess. And so they're out front of their ministry house there, the donut shop, slash coffee shop, slash house of Jesus. Most donut shops, really, if we're honest. Anyways. They're out in front of that cutting this thing off and making this horrible mess. And one of their repeat customers, a guy who comes almost every day, comes walking down the street and they're covered in this white dust. They look like they were covered in snow. And he said, what in the world are you doing? And they said, with boldness, we're, we're turning this into a baptismal. We're going to do a baptism here. And he, he said, wait a a Christian baptism? They said, yeah. He said, at a donut shop? And they said, well, this is a church too. He said, I had no idea. He said, can I get baptized? I've been wanting to follow Jesus for eight years. I've been looking for Jesus for eight years. And they they responded with an appropriate level of skepticism. They've been there seven years. They've seen three people give their life to Jesus and two of them be ready to go public with baptism. This is the first spiritual conversation they've ever had with the guy. And he's ready to jump into the thing without water in it yet. They're like, hold on, bro. Let's talk. So they talked for several hours. They sent him back home said, hey, watch these videos in Albanian that unpack the gospel story from Genesis to Revelation. There's hours and hours and hours of these videos. He watched them all in one night. They told him, start reading the gospels. He started reading God's word. They met again the next day. He's like, this is what I've been looking for. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And they're like, you can't be. They literally found themselves in the position of trying to talk him out of giving his life to Jesus. All of this started at the beginning of the week that Maurice and I arrived. And so our first full day there was on a Saturday. And Dave got a phone call while we were at the house that said, hey, he's back here again. I'm not going to say his name since we're streaming this morning. He's here again, and he says, he is ready, and he needs to see you. And so Dave said, let's go. And I said, let's go. We went and sat down in the coffee shop, and we just started asking him question after question after question. And he said, here's here's my story. He said, ten years ago, ten years ago, I saw the heartlessness in Islam. And I rejected it. But he said, I never knew there was any other form or belief system. And so in my mind, I was saying, I don't believe there is truth. I don't believe there is God. Two years later, that was 10 years ago. Two years later, eight years ago, 
He said, I lost my best friend. He died tragically and it wrecked me. And here we were, eight years later, he started to cry just telling the story of the loss of his friend. And he said, I reached a point in my life that I did not want to live. He said, but then I traveled abroad and I met some Christians. They never told him how to be saved. They never preached to him. They had just met him. All he did was watch how they treated each other. And through tears, he said, what I saw in those Christians gave me a reason to live. And for eight years, he's been trying to find out what they had that made them love like that. And sitting there on that Saturday in that coffee shop, that young man gave his life to Jesus Christ and was born again. And here's why. Because God is a trinity. Because God is trinity, God is love. And because God is love, he transforms his people with a capacity to love that is not natural, that is not human, that is not cultural, that is not religious. It is divine. If that's who God is, then ought we not also to be like him? God's not looking for behavior modification for a fake version of love. We spent the whole spring talking about that. God doesn't want you to pretend to be loving so that you can be a good boy or a good girl. He desires nothing more in the world than for you to know him so that you'll know who you are, so that he can transform the capacity in you to love like him. People who just maybe are watching who are looking for a reason to live.